All right, and welcome to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my co-host, Jonah Tolls. Jonah, I must say, the streak is finally over. You finally get your first win in Jerry's world. How does it feel, man? The curse has been lifted. <laughs> the curse has been lifted, man. I got to tell you, it was awesome. The environment was great. The energy in that building was ridiculous. Every time the Cowboys and Eagles play each other, you know, it's two volatile fan bases. I love to see it. And, you know, as a, as a diehard Cowboys fan, there's nothing better than beating the Eagles on Sunday night. So, and get to see it up close in person, that was, that was pretty awesome. You know, I, I, I hate to say that I deserve it, because I do deserve it. We've, we, I was there when Jared Cook had the toe tap, and Mason Crosby hit two 56-yard <laughs> field goals. And they end up missing like a 35-yarder the next week against the Falcons in the NFC Championship. So, you know what? I think I deserve this after all the brutal losses I've suffered at AT&T Stadium. This was good. This was nice. And you know what? The curse has been lifted, man. And you definitely deserve it because you were working on an 0-6 record, I believe. And was it 0-6? This was my sixth game. Wow. Yeah, you. that curse definitely needed to be lifted because – Ooh, I can't imagine if you didn't win 0-6. That probably would have been your last game there, I'm assuming. 100%. 100%. I was, I, I'm supposed to go to the Thanksgiving game. I would have canceled my flight. <laughs> I don't blame you. Who are the Cowboys playing on Thanksgiving this year? They play the Bills. They play, oh, the, yeah. they play the Fighting Joe Marinos. Yeah, shout out to Joe Marino. The Fighting Bills are 5-1, and one, just like we all predicted during the preseason. <laughs> And Joe, Joe gave me a lot of crap for picking them to go 8-8. Eight and eight. And I said I'm optimistic about the Bills. And he just wouldn't believe me. But that is not Look why we're that. <laughs> giving a vote of confidence to Joe Marino in the Bills. <laughs> Shout out to Joe. I was always on the Josh Allen bandwagon, I will say that. Even though he was one of the most scrutinized draft picks of all time. I'll even go that far. But that is not why we're here today. We're talking college football today. A week recap, and it kind of was a decent lineup of games. It wasn't as great as week seven, but week eight, we had a lot a, a lot of good lineups, I will say. And most of the games turned out to be decent for the most part, even though there was a little bit of anticipation going into the week. We had the quarterback battle between Jacob Eason and Justin Herbert with Washington and Oregon. That game lived up to the hype. We also had a battle between top 20 ranked teams in Michigan and Penn State. And then whenever Alabama is on the TV, everybody is going to tune in. So we will get to game recaps a little bit later. But as we do every week, we're going to start off with our prize stickers. And for our new listeners, prize stickers is very similar to what ESPN gives out when they give out their helmet stickers. But we want to put our own little twist to it and give a vote of confidence, a vote of confidence, I should say, to some of the players that we feel as if had a standout week. So I'm going to let you start it off. Who were three players that stood out to you during the game's week of action? Oh, oh man. You know what? This is a big week in college football, but I'm going with the same team for my first two prize stickers. The Utah Ute, my friend. And the Utes. Utah's a 21-3 beatdown, Jordan. 21-3. It was led by none other than their star professor for Bradley and I, who had three sacks. I mean, I wrote an article about him on the Draft Network last week, and it was really just me being a big fan of him coming this year. It was about me being a big fan of him coming this year with his speed to power, you know, multiple moves in his toolbox and whatnot. But 
it was really just him changing the narrative on his draft projection because now he's starting to show a little more juice and fluidity to his game, and you saw that against Arizona State. So, I mean, obviously I'll need to revisit all 22 and whatnot, but if his bend looks as good on the coaches' film as it does on the television copy, I might be all aboard the Bradley and I top 40 pick train. I mean, this guy really has it all. He, he's a great run defender, has a great motor. I mean, this guy's starting to play with more juice and bend off the edge. He might be a very – this guy, by all measures, is a has great, great character, good leader in the locker room, has been a big presence for that Utah team for multiple years. I think he's starting to check all the boxes. And I, I think he had a huge game, and that three-sack performance will definitely stand out for scouts next spring. Now, the next guy I want to mention is someone I've been and uh, part of the A20, and, and the first early bits of 2019. That's Jalen Johnson, the quarterback from Utah. Now, uh, I mean, th- this guy has been absolutely phenomenal the last two weeks. You talk about shutting down Oregon State wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins last week, who previously in the last two in the other two games before that had at least ten catches and 123 yards and a touchdown in those two games, and he shut him down the next one. Then this Saturday, he shut down I think what is the who is the best receiver in the Pac-12. We talked about on the last podcast, and that's Brandon Ayuk. He shut him down to one completion. For seven yards. And just to think about how hard it is to kind of shut this guy down. Arizona State likes to run a lot of screen plays this guy. And it, but and just get, get the ball in his hands and let him go upfield. Man, you just didn't see the ball. I mean, Johnson was blanking him the whole game. The straight clamps. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for his performance in this one. And I think it all boils down to the fact that, you know, his combination of physicality and kind of foot quickness and man coverage. Because... He has that dual ability because not many cornerbacks are able to do this. Only like the really elite ones. Like you think like Darius Slay, you think of like Xavier Rhodes and all that. But you think the dual ability to both mirror with foot quickness at the line of scrimmage while also being unafraid to jam and get in the grill of the receiver, reroute his path. And I, I just really think he's made a lot of money in the last two weeks. I know I've been hard on him the last, the last month or two, but he's really starting to come together, and I think he's starting to show why he's the best receiver in the Pac-12, or the best cornerback in the Pac-12. The last guy I want to mention, I'm sure we're going to get to our game recaps, because it was his show, the K.J. Hamler show, Penn State versus Michigan. I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I mean, K.J. Hamler is cut from the same cloth as Nicole Hardman. I mean, he's an instant threat for a house call each play. He gets the ball. I mean, right? I mean, this really just speaks to how, how he might be the most electric playmaker in all college football. I, mean, I think he's a very underrated router. I think he has, honestly, I think he has a lot of untapped potential in this area. He's always asked to do at Penn State, a lot of crossers, a lot of, you know, a lot of easy, simple routes to run. But I think you see flashes of him being able to be a great route runner the next someone from the slot. And, you know, after what he did against Michigan, making plays, you know, honestly, left and right. I think he's making a strong case right now to be one of the 2020 NFL drafts most fascinating prospects. And I know we'll touch on Hamler probably in our game recaps, but yeah, this guy to me is one of my favorite prospects in his entire draft class, if he declares. Yeah, and I'm with you on Hamler. He was very, very electric. And that really was like my first time actually sitting down and really watching him for the most part. And I think it was you actually that compared him to Miko Hartman from a year ago, the receiver at Georgia. And I think they have very similar skill sets. Now, I do have some questions as far as his ball tracking skills, but that is the exact questions we had about Miko coming out That's last right. year. He wasn't great with tracking the ball out of the air, but once you're able to get the ball in his hands really quickly, he is so shifty, and I think he is very, very twitchy as far as even more, even before the ball even gets in his hands. And I think he's going to have a lot of fans in the NFL draft if he does end up declaring that he is only a redshirt sophomore, I believe. So 
he could come back next year. He could, he could come back another year after that as well, but it is not looking like he's going to come back next year just because of how much of a breakout season he is having right now. And he looked fantastic last week against Michigan. There was just nobody on the field that could guard him. And I know we talked about Levert Hill in that matchup against him, but there just was nobody on the field that could guard Hamler. And I just love the way that they were using him. It wasn't just in the slot. He was on the outside, and they even experimented with him in the backfield as well. And that's just the type of versatile skill set that he brings to the table. And a creative offensive coordinator is really going to love him for that just because of so many boxes that he can't check and the tools that he does bring to the table as far as a playmaker. Every offense in the country and even in the NFL is definitely going to love a type of playmaker like that. So I definitely agree with K.J. Hamler, but you had a bunch of the same guys that I had. And one guy I did want to bring up, that looked fantastic last week was Isaiah Simmons. And we both are huge fans of him. Just the type of skill set that he brings to the table. NFL defensive coordinators are going to salivate over that just because everyone likes to ask what position he plays. And I just say he plays everywhere just because he can play wheel linebacker. He can play strong side or he can play strong safety. I should say he can play Sam linebacker and they've even experimented him in some blitz package packages at middle linebacker as well. He can play any position on the back end outside of cornerback and hold up plenty fine, in my opinion. You also can put him at defensive end if you have some type of NASCAR or fast packages on third down. And that's exactly what Clemson is doing with him. So I'm a big fan of Isaiah Simmons, eight tackles, two sacks last week against Louisville. And I'm really excited about his future. Now, the one thing I do worry about with him is that scheme fit is going to be very important with him. Just because you have to find a specific scheme fit for him and a defensive coordinator that's going to utilize him and not just peg him in one spot and force him to be just that one area or of expertise in a defensive position. So Isaiah Simmons is the one guy well, I'm going to give him. Let me ask you one thing about Isaiah Simmons real quick. Uh-huh. And this is something that I think I – like. for me, watching his 2018 tape, I thought more than that 20 to 30 range kind of. Was more of a sweet spot for him, more so than that top ten range. Mm-hmm. I think what he's done this year in terms of you know the twenty eight is that I saw more stability, a lot more. I think in the right scheme, I think he can produce in that role. I know a lot of people are going to box him into this. He's be a strong safety hybrid guy, but we've seen guys like you know Telvin Smith, for example, thrive yeah. in that kind of role. I, I think the linebacker is position is just changing. I think people are so focused on you know the bang it out and find the tag. I think Isaiah Simmons is one of those guys that just change that continues to change the vibe and the narrative around the linebacker position. He's just, uh, I think he's just a blur in the open field. He's physical. This guy is not afraid to get an excellent coverage piece. I think he's a guy like Kelvin. And he's on, you know, his improvement from 2018 to 29. And if you be comfortable playing him kind of also an inside linebacker role, I know you, you said scheme uh, fit would be a big thing with him. But I, I think I'm growing more and more comfortable with him playing insides. I think what I've seen from what I've seen this year, of course. Yeah, and I had some I don't want to say some questions about his physicality when he was used as a blitzer last year, but he kind of pulled up when he initiated contact with those running backs and offensive linemen on the first level. But this year he's playing so much more physical and more violent, and that's really a welcome sight to see. Exactly. So we're really we're really excited about Isaiah Simmons. I know in mock drafts, a common place for him has been the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I think is a really good fit for him with Telvin Smith and also I, Miles. I, I, I think Isaiah Simmons will be one of the first three players drafted that's not a quarterback. Wow, that's I, mean, I, I think I think he'll be one of the first non one of the first three non 
like strap. I wouldn't bet against that. I think Tua Herbert, the Tua Herbert are gone. If Tua's going, then you got Tua Herbert and Burrow likely in the top five or six, right? Then you got Chase Young and maybe Jeffrey Okuda. I mean, yep. then you got they probably got one of the receivers or Andrew Thomas, but I think there's a good chance that Zayn Simmons becomes that third guy. So yeah, yeah I mean, I agree. Just, I'm, he's I'm he's going to test out of this world. I think he's a game changer. And you draft game changers in the top ten, draft sure things. Oh yeah, I think he's one of the sure things in this draft. I'm with you. I think he's going to test out of this world as well, which is going to help his case. Even more, but I'm really excited about Isaiah Simmons, and I can't wait to see exactly how he tests this year because I think without question he's going to end up declaring for the draft. I don't see any situation where he does end up going back to school. But before we move on, I want to remind the listeners about Indochino, which is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. Again, that's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout. You will receive $30 off your total purchase. So make sure to visit Indochino.com. Now I want to get into these game recaps. And of course, I would be remiss if I did not start off with the quarterback battle of the week between Washington and Oregon, which took place with the battle between Jacob Eason and Justin Herbert. Eason really came out of, I wouldn't say out of nowhere this year, but a lot of people were really excited to see him play just because he showed so much promise at Georgia, but things didn't end up working out there. He ended up getting hurt, and Jake Fromm ended up taking that job ultimately, and then he transferred back home to Washington, where he did struggle a bit in the spring. A lot of people say they were disappointed with him, but he ended up being named the starter this year, as everyone did expect, and he started out a bit, started out a bit rough this year. I should say he has had some rough patches this year, but... I thought he looked really good in this game from what I've seen. He is a flamethrower that I like to call, and he only knows one ball speed, and that's fast. And that's exactly what you're getting with Jacob Beeson. Now, he does need to work on his accuracy and his touch. I think that's the biggest weaknesses in his game right now. And getting past his first and his second read and his progression, I think he speeds through his progressions a little bit too much, and he leaves himself out to dry. And you saw that a couple times in this game where he had some guys open, but he just came off the read a bit too fast. But he ended up 23 for 30, 289 yards, three touchdowns, and no interception. And I thought he looked exceptional in this game. But on the opposite side with Justin Herbert, it's the same thing we've talked about all year. He really hasn't done anything to help himself, and he also hasn't done anything to hurt himself. And he just stayed afloat during this game. He was 24 for 38, 280 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. And I thought he managed the game really well. And it's the same thing we always say with Justin Herbert. He'll have an amazing throw one time, and then he'll come back and just make a blunder or a questionable throw that you're like, man, what in the world was he doing right there? So I know you're still a fan of Justin Herbert, and I'm still on the boat as well. But his inconsistencies are just so maddening. But with Jacob Beeson, of course, you're going to have the arm strength thing come into question. Everybody, arm strength is king in the NFL, and even with executives and scouts, everybody is going to love it just because it's the one area that you cannot teach with the quarterback. But what did you see in this game, maybe not even from the quarterbacks? Was, was there anybody else that caught your eye in this game? Yeah, so to me, Troy Dye was awesome. I know yeah. he kind of hurt his thumb in this game. Uh, it, even though it, his best play in the game was when he turned the Washington W upside down he went he went dubs down you know very much on brand for me but uh he's really such an underrated prospect i mean i know some don't like that he's not your 
you know, your traditional inside linebacker, like I said, I was in this end, the bang it out, the point of attack kind of guy. But I think if you allow him to play sort of a roaming role, like a will at the next level, that's why I think you can maximize his skill set because he's he's really a credible coverage piece with his length and athleticism. Uh, I'm a big fan. I think Troy Dad really stood out in this game before he hurt his thumb. Um, but to touch on Jacob Easton and Justin Herbert, I think the biggest thing in, in this game had nothing really to do with Herbert as much as to do with Eason. And I think when scouts when scouts watch tape on quarterbacks, for example, especially in a quarterback battle, I think they want to look if the like how the two compare in this game, right? And Herbert, I think, has been clearly mocked and billed as the guy who's like the top five, top ten guy. Eason's kind of been the late first round kind of player. And I think the biggest thing for Eason in this game was that he did not look a, like a level below Herbert as a prospect in this game. They look like equals, and I think that's the biggest thing for scouts to see is that side-by-side comparison because if Herbert looks significantly better than Eason, then it's like, oh, well, that confirms what, we, what we've been seeing in mock drafts and what we've been seeing. But I think Eason has – Eason really helped raise his stock in this one, especially when scouts go back and watch this tape, you know, watch the ultimate two of the Washington-Oregon game right here. I really think that side-by-side comparison, Eason going toe-to-toe with Herbert in this game – you know, pass for pass, you know, I really think that's going to really help him. And I think that's going to be something that's going to be a driving point for a lot of scouts going into those board setting meetings when they see which quarterbacks they like and which quarterbacks they want to consider in the first round. So Easton, big game for him and being able to go toe for toe with Justin Herbert. And I'm right there with you. And this was a huge, once again, using the word resume game for him because you always want to see how a guy is going to compete when they're going toe-to-toe with another guy, especially one that they're going to end up being matched up with. Maybe not they're going head-to-head as far as on the field going against them as a defender, but there's that competitive fire that you love to see in a quarterback, and that's exactly what we saw out of Jacob Beeson. That's something he's always had even going back to his high school days when he was going to high school in Washington. So I'm really excited about Jacob Beeson just because he has some of those traits that you really cannot teach and that's starting with the arm strength. And arm strength, like I said, is always going to be king to NFL scouts. But he has a uber amount of arm strength. And he can just fit balls through a quarter hole or a keyhole, I should say. And that's the best way to describe it. And he is not scared to test those tight window throws at all. And he really made some really good ones in this game. But Oregon came out with the victory 35-31 to 31 over Washington. It was really cool to see both of those guys go head-to-head and compete. And I thought both of them played really well. But... I want to move on to the next game. We've already touched on it a bit, and that's Penn State against Michigan. Penn State came out with the victory 28-21 to over the Wolverines, and I thought Penn State really dominated this game for the most part, even though Michigan tried to make a bit of a comeback a bit late. It was just a little bit too late to make that comeback, and once again, the Wolverines just aren't able to win a big game, which has always been the weakness for Jim Harbaugh to this point during his tenure back at his alma mater at Michigan. But once again, the player we talked about earlier, K.J. Hamler, he was the one player that really stood out in this game. Six catches, 108 yards, two touchdowns. And also another player who stood out to me and caught my eye in this game is John Reed, the cornerback from Penn State. Finally, he gets the respect he deserves, (laughs) damn it. He gets the respect he deserves. He finally he finally caught my eye in this game, and I haven't studied him in depth, but as far as his hips, he looked very smooth, very long, and he's much taller than I thought he was. He looks much bigger uh, on film than what I originally thought he was, and I thought he looked really good in this game, hanging with Donovan Peoples-Jones, Tariq Black. I thought they did a really good job of containing those very talented Michigan receivers for the most part, and he had a really nice PBU in the second quarter, I believe it was, on fourth down that really caught my eye, but who are some other players that caught your eye in this game? First of all, 
I am glad. I am glad my co-host is joining the John Reed Hive. I am so glad because this guy is phenomenal. And I think he's one of the best kept. I think he's in all college football. Honestly, this guy is. He, he, he might be a little short, might be a little small, a technical playmaker at the next level. Uh, I'm really excited to see, you know, possibly him at the Senior Bowl and go up against some of these guys. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's really the cornerback. We touched on KJ Hamler, but I think it's the cornerbacks here. John Reed, Drew Castro Fields. And I like both quite a bit, really for completely different reasons. And I love how small Todd is in cover. He makes a great cold school end zone. He has good foot quickness, like you mentioned with his hip fluidity. And, and when it comes to route recognition of man, I think his reactionary quickness to transition from C to attack is tremendous. Um, size, again, will be the main concern, but I think he's a really solid nickel prospect. I'm a big fan of him. I'm glad you're starting to catch on to what, what he's doing. Um, but better, <laughs> better now than ever. Uh, so with Castro Fields, I, I, it's, it's totally different body type, much bigger, about 6'2". Um, but with him, I just love his physicality. He's not really your, he's not your average run defender at the cornerback position. I tweeted out, you know, when he made a couple big tackles against Michigan, you know, he attacks downhill like a strong safety. Now, I'm honestly confident he's probably one of the most reliable overfield tackling DBs in the country. Um, if he puts on a couple pounds, I'm 100% game moving him to safety because he does have hip tightness and his combination of smarts, instincts, and run support reliability project better to playing with everything in front of him. I don't really want him turning his back. I think that's where he gets in a little bit of trouble in terms of tracking the ball and with that hip tightness. I really don't want him, you know, on an island by himself. I'd rather him attacking downhill. That's where he's at his best. Um, but I know the one thing for sure is that he'll be an immediate impact special teams player. So I think he's going to be a guy that's going to make an NFL roster and anything he's going to make an impact with coaching staffs. You can be sure he'll be drafted next spring. I'm right there with you with Tariq Castro Fields, and I actually studied him a little bit this summer, and I thought he played really well last year as a sophomore, but I'm right there with you. He might actually be a safety just because of how physical he is, and he doesn't have those flexible hips and those requisite body movements like you're used to see out of a Penn State cornerback. And I know Armani Awarie is one player that we didn't necessarily talk about a lot last year just because we didn't have these personal debates a lot, but Hip tightness was something that a lot of people have some questions with him about. And I think Castro Fields probably isn't as good of an athlete as a warrior is, but he may make that transition like a lot of people were saying that a warrior should have made to safety. So I'm right there with you with Tariq Castro Fields. I love his physicality, but I do have some questions about his overall athleticism. So I'm excited to see how this Penn State secondary does finish. And once again, keep an eye on John Reed. He definitely did catch my eye. And maybe it's just the last name, man. It's a phenomenal last name. <laughs> I was just about to say that, by the way. <laughs> phenomenal last name. I think that may be what it is. But I want to transition to our last game recap. And it wasn't just the game that caught the attention of the country. Alabama and Tennessee. Alabama wins the game 35-13. to 13, But the headline that everybody is talking about is Tua Tagovailoa once again having an ankle injury he exits the game in the first quarter he ended he ended his tenure or ended the game I should say 11 to 12 for 155 yards and he had one bad interception to no touchdowns and I thought the old Tua came out in this game what I mean by the old Tua is that he was just trying to do too much and early on in the game before the interception I thought he looked like in his normal self he was in rhythm 
throwing those slant routes that you're accustomed to seeing. And he was on schedule in everything that he did. He had some really nice completions to Jerry Judy and also Henry Ruggs as well. When the offense looked really good, it was clicking. It was going down the field. But he has the bad interception in the red zone. And he circles out of the pocket just like we saw last year. And he just tosses up a really bad interception. And they could have took a commanding lead there and they just weren't able to do it just because he had the bad interception right there. But the headliner of the night, like I said, he exits the game once again with an ankle injury, the same ankle that he had surgery on a year ago. And he's already came out and said that he is going to stay out until the LSU game in a couple weeks. Alabama's on a bye week this week, and then they come back and play LSU the following week, the big showdown in Tuscaloosa. So Alabama, Tennessee, who are some players that caught your eye in this game? Yeah, I, I think you hit it around the nail ahead with Tua being the main headline in this one. But I don't want to take away this performance from like guys like Trayvon Diggs and Anthony Jennings, right? Anthony Jennings looks like the real deal. The big thing with him is that his draft projection is really cloudy right now until we know what's up with his leg and when he goes to the combine medical rechecks and see if NFL teams pass him medically. Because obviously, as we've seen in years past, you can be a first-round prospect, but you can fall out of the draft or fall to day three based on what the combine medical rechecks say, you know, and it's just really unfortunate because Anthony Jennings looks like a guy who has first-round, second-round talent, but that knee is going to be something to watch. Um, similar, similar injury, Trayvon Diggs, this guy, you know, when healthy, I think he's going to be a top-three cornerback lock for me in this class. I think guys like Akuda, Wade, you know, Paulson, Adebo, and I, I think Trayvon Diggs needs to be right up there with those guys. And I know he's not – necessarily put up there on a pedestal, but this guy has legit 4 speed. This guy has awesome ball skills. He's got the natural playmaker in the open field. Uh, I, I just love his man coverage traits. His ability to play both press and off man. I remember watching him. I remember falling in love with him last year against that, in the Ole Miss game when he guarded DK Metcalf, and he was running stride for stride with that guy. Um, he was getting physical with him. I, I'm, I'm just a big fan of Trayvon Diggs. I think his performance uh, against Tennessee – he keeps, you know, legitimizing his case as a top cornerback in this draft class. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's that, that, this Alabama-Tennessee game is just tons of prospects, tons and tons of guys. But I think you mentioned it right. Tua, the big headline, that ankle injury, and I'm sure that's going to go right in, you know, that's, that's a plug right into our next segment. So, um, so I, I mean, that's the thing with Tua is that I think scouts, you know, they see his size and they see his frame, they're going to, immediately scream durability right and i think those old traditional scouts are going to be like oh he's not big enough to play quarterback in the nfl to sustain the 16 game season a lot of they're going to you know bring up the marcus mariota deal where it's like is he even, is he even going to be able to stay on the field at his frame so um it, it it's it's concerning but at the same time he's still a legit top quarterback prospect and i don't see anything that should take away from his on-field performance he had one bad play it's because he got too greedy you mentioned it the old Tua kind of came out and I think he tried to play a little bit of hero ball. But other than that, I think what he showed was fine. And these receivers, I mean, they, they're, Jerry Judy's just phenomenal. Um, but that's pretty much all I have on Alabama. I know you want to touch more on Tua in this kind of situation going forward, though. Yeah, so you really previewed this segment. And this is one that is really interesting just because I think it's something that's not being talked about right now. And I really like that Tua came in and really silenced all of this chatter. But I do want to talk about the debate just because I think somebody is going to bring it up probably in the next few days, even though Tua has already come out and said that he told his teammates that he was going to be back against LSU. But last year, we saw Nick Bosa with the core injury, 
He only played four games last year. And he basically said, I'm not coming back just because I want to protect myself. I want to protect my body and my investment. And I'm going to get ready for the NFL draft. And this is something that we could see Tua do, even though he has already said and came out that he said he is not going to do it. Even though I keep saying that two weeks is a long time to sit on this ankle injury and a lot of time to think. So Tua definitely could pull a Nick Bosa. And I'm not saying he is going to do it. I'm just speculating here and that. We're just talking about a topic here. I want to make that very clear. And it is something that we're going to debate right now. So I'm going to go ahead and give my opinion. I wouldn't think any different of them just because I'm always on the side of athletes when they're trying to protect their body for the greater good, as long as they have earned the opportunity to do that. And I think Tua has definitely done that. There's certain players that really don't have to play another down of college football for them to prove themselves as college prospects. And for me, that's guys like Jerry Judy, Tua, Chase Young, and the list goes on and on of some of these guys that really don't necessarily need to play another down of college football just because they have a huge sample size right now. And that's exactly what we have with Tua. And, of course, you want to see him play better against some of these big-time defenses and better competition. But I think he has already proven himself in exactly what he can do and who he is as an NFL draft, as an NFL draft prospect, I should say. So if he was to sit out the rest of the year, I wouldn't think any different of him, his competitive fire or anything like that. I understand exactly what he's trying to do. But I want to get your opinion on it. So if he was to sit out the rest of the year similar to what Nick Bosa did last year, what would you think of him? I think he'd be giving up the number one pick. Uh, and, and I know that might be a little bold, but I think when you look at scouts and how they just operate and how front officers just think, with the way Joe Burrow's playing, and you know when he would go through the whole piece, is to you know he wouldn't be able to go to the senior bowl or any of that. And I just think that Burrow, if he keeps up the way he's playing, and then, he, then Tua doesn't show up for the LSU game, Burrow plays lights out. Burrow ends up becoming a Heisman finalist. Burrow kills the Senior Bowl. You know, blows up the combine. It's just one of those things where you think Burrow would just surpass him, right? And I think some and some teams, like I said last week, would prefer Herbert and you know, for his traits over Tua's kind of resume. Um, so I think. If he were to sit out, I would understand it because there's a lot of money at stake here. And I think protecting yourself is the right investment, especially when you know you're going to be a top 10 pick. Um, but at the same time, I just can't see two as competitive. Two is too competitive, I think, to kind of sit out the rest of the year. And it's and like you said, it's not just like what I think will happen. I think it's, you know, it's kind of just a debate we're having here. And but I think if we're projecting what will end up happening, um, I think two is going to stick in it out. I think two is going to come back just because – everything we've heard about him and his intangibles and his leadership, I just can't – plus with, with all those, the national championship pedigree, I, I just can't see him bowing out. I, I think he's too competitive. I think he's too tough to kind of give up on the season, um, especially with how well I've balanced him. So, yeah, I mean, but if he were to pull in Nick Bosa and kind of sit out the rest of the year, I wouldn't blame him. But I think there's a real potential he'd be giving up the first overall pick if he did that. I'm right there with you, and I think he probably would lose quite a bit of money as far as being a top three pick maybe, but I think he still would go probably in the top five. I think that's very fair to say, and even though even maybe it even slides him back to maybe the second quarterback taken or something like that, but I don't think it would knock him down a whole bunch, but there is going to be a lot more mixed opinions if he was able or if he did sit out the rest of the year, similar to what happened to Nick Bosa, but we know – Quarterbacks, edge rushers, offensive tackles, teams are always going to covet 
those positions. So it's a fun topic to talk about. Once again, we're not speculating or reporting anything, saying he is going to do that. It's just a fun topic that we thought about. And while discussing our topics for tonight or for, day, for today's show, I should say. But next topic I want to get to is a very highly debated topic right now. And that is who, if the season was to end today, who would be your four teams in the college football playoffs? And I'm going to let you start off with this one because I'm really interested to see who you list as your four top teams. So I'm going to let you go first. Go ahead. I want to. I'm very intrigued to see right. who you have. All right. All right. All right. All right. So I'll, I'll go one through four. Very customary. I'll go LSU number one. And I know some people are going to be like, you know, why LSU over Bama? Why, you know, but I think they're just playing like the best team in college football right now. Plain and simple. Joe Burrow is firing all cylinders. Joe Blenikoff candidate. And you got guys like, you know, you got, you got, you got totally, you got, Secondary guys like Grant Delpit, Christian Full, and Derek Stingley. These guys are all phenomenal players who will all be at the next level and potentially starters in the NFL. I mean, th- this team is loaded with NFL talent. Lloyd Cushenberry on the, at, at center. Yeah, excellent linebacker play. Rashard Lawrence in the middle of the defensive line. I just really believe LSU is the best team in college football right now. I think they're playing like it. And that big game between Alabama and LSU, I don't think the loser of that game is knocked out by any means. Uh, I, think that'll just, I think that's just going to be a heavyweight battle. Um, but it'll definitely determine who's the front runner and who's the leader in the clubhouse. And I think LSU, especially with Tua's injury status, I think LSU has a real shot. And I think, you know, with the way they're playing, with Joe, way Joe Burrow's momentum's going, I just don't see there's any other argument for a number one overall team. Um, I got LSU out there. And my number two team might be a little controversial. I don't got Bama yet. I got Ohio State. And the reason for this is they've been running through every damn team they've been playing so far. Justin Fields looks, looks so legit. And I know everyone's talking about Trevor Lawrence being the, you know, this franchise changer in 2021. But I think people are going to soon realize that Justin Fields is just as talented. These guys were toe-to-toe as, you know, as recruits. These guys were both highly you know, thought of coming out of high school. And you can see why. I mean, Georgia, I could not imagine a guy like Justin Fields going to Georgia and then Georgia saying no because of Jake Fromm, I can't imagine it. So Ohio State really benefited from that. Um, and then you know, their defense. I mean, do we have to really explain how good their defense is? Chase Young, Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, Baron Browning's playing like a top linebacker in the country right now. I mean, this Ohio State team is loaded. They got excellent receivers. And J.K. Dobbins, the piece you had um, this week on the Draft Network, I mean, he's playing like a totally different player. He's an electric playmaker in the open. This team. I think has a legit shot to win the whole thing. Um, it's just, you know, they haven't been tested yet. So I just don't know, but they've really been running through the whole shit. And I think they're going to, you know, easily make their way to the call for playoff. That's my number two team. Bama, I already touched a little man. They're my three team. They're still Bama, right? I mean, as long as Nick Saban is a coach of the Crimson Tide, you can lock in them for the college football playoff for, for right now, or, or at least in contention for it. Right. I just think that, you know, with the healthy two attack of Iowa, those receivers, uh, you know, that offensive line, you got a great secondary. I mean, I think Bama is just – Bama is still just so good. I think Bama has to be in the top four. So they're my number three. And the last one, obviously, you're going to pick off some fans. And I'm going to go with the Oklahoma Sooners. And I heard it off this podcast right now. But here's my argument. Oklahoma, I think with 
with those seniors on that team, we got, you know, Jalen Hurts. You got Kenneth Murray back there. And then you got guys like CeeDee Lamb, who, who might possibly be a top 15 pick or so. Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon are playing lights out at running back. You got an experienced player in Creed Humphrey, who was able to hold his own against Alabama last year in the college playoffs. So I, I think we Creed, we at, I think Oklahoma is just a better team right now than Clemson. I think Clemson is a year away with some of their players. Uh, and, that, and that's not saying when you look at what they had last year and what they have now this year, they lost a lot of senior leadership on that team. I think that's starting to show. Mm-hmm. Uh, got, like, like Christian Wilkins, Cleveland Farrell. All these guys leaving, and Hunter Renfro, all these guys you know, that have been on those championship teams leaving, I think that's making a difference. I think you saw that against North Carolina and Clemson. Um, so I, I think you're starting to see a different Clemson team. I think they're going to have to prove something in the next couple of weeks. I think because right now, to me, Oklahoma looks to be firing on all cylinders. I know they had a rough game against Kansas, but they really bounced back. Uh, against West Virginia, and Lincoln Riley, best play caller in college football. So I, I just think when you look at all of that together, I think Oklahoma is a better team right now than Clemson. I know it's going to upset some Clemson fans, but I think that's just a, a simple reality. We I'm right there with you. And I have four – well, I actually have all four of the same teams, just a different order. So, number one, I have Ohio State. I think Ohio State is the best team in the country right now. I'm going on record and saying that. I think Ohio State is the best team in the country just because Justin Fields adds such a different dynamic to this team that we have never seen before. And Ohio State has always been known for the quarterback play. They've had really good ones in the past, even going back to the days of Troy Smith, JT Barrett, and even last year with Dwayne Haskins. But I think the added dimension that Justin Fields brings to the game is just the way he can use his legs. And it's not just creating off script and being able to scramble and throw the ball around. They are creating some very nice design runs for him. So it's essentially guarding another guy on the field. And we've already we've already talked about how J.K. Dobbins is really looking like his freshman self. After having a bit of a down year last year as a sophomore, he's really bounced back really nicely this year. And he's already in the top five in Ohio State history in rushing yards. So he's having a really good year this year. They have a very talented freshman in Chris Olave, I believe that's his name on the perimeter, who really is looking yep. like the next Terry McLaurin out there on the perimeter. And then you have Benjamin Victor, K.J. Hill, Austin Matt, all of these guys, they're just so loaded. And then Luke Farrell is even coming around as a tight end option as well after being mostly a receiving part or a blocking part, I should say, for the most part in years past. So they are just so loaded. And then on the other side of the ball, I mean, it speaks for itself. On the outside, they have one of the best secondaries in the country led by Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, and then they have that the Predator on the first level and Chase Young, who's nobody's been able to block him so far this year. So I think Ohio State is the best team in the country right now, and I know they haven't been tested, and they're probably not going to be tested until the college football playoff, even in the Big Ten championship game. I don't think they're going to play anybody respectable, in my opinion. They're going to blow through it just like they did last year with Northwestern on their way to the college football playoff. So Ohio State is my number one ranked team right now. Number two would be LSU. And it's really weird, this LSU team, just because we've always known LSU as being the ground-and-pound, run-heavy type of offense. And it's the exact opposite this year with Joe Burrow, who's playing out of his mind. He already has the single-season program record with 29 touchdowns, breaking Jamarcus Russell and Matty Mark's record from 2003 and 2006. So that just goes to show you, I think that's kind of I think it's kind of ironic about the program. And it says something about some of the quarterbacks that they have had in previous years that he broke that record in only seven games. 
So that just goes to show you the type of offenses that they have had in years past. But Joe Burrow, I mean, there isn't a player in the country that's helped this stop a bit more. But they have some very good weapons on the perimeter. Freshman Jamar Chase is the stud. We're going to be talking about him plenty in 2021. And also Justin Jefferson. I mean, we're both huge fans of him, but they have a very nice guy in the backfield. And and, uh, Edwards Hilaire, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who's a very, very respectable running back as well. So LSU, that definitely is my second-ranked team. Their defense isn't playing that well this year, but they have the offense to really get in shootouts and really outgun a lot of those teams that they have played so far this year. Number three, I'm going to go with the Alabama Clemson tie. Once again, similar to LSU, the defense isn't really playing as great as in years past, even though we did see in the preseason they lost a very respectable piece in Dylan Moses. So that really has been the main reason why the defense has kind of been a bit soft in the middle. So I think their defense is good enough, of course, to get them to the college football playoff. And of course, their offense is so explosive. They are able to overcome that. We'll see what does happen with Tua. Hopefully he does come back healthy. As long as Tua is out there, they're going to be in the college football playoff. And like you said, whenever Nick Saban is coaching this team, they're going to be in contention no matter what. Number four, I thought about putting Clemson here, but I just could not put them over Oklahoma. The job that Lincoln Riley has done with Jalen Hurts at this point has just been amazing. He's looking like, I don't want to say a totally different player from Alabama, just because I thought his talents were a bit hidden when he was there, just because Alabama's always a very run-heavy and run-centric type of offense, and they really didn't allow Hurts to throw the ball like, of course, we've seen in Lincoln Riley's offense. And I think he's been freed a little bit, and he's not only shown how great he is as a passer, but to complement that, he's shown how well he can use his legs as a runner as well. And I think that's why he's been so great in the chemistry between Lincoln Riley and him really has his offense really clicking. And then you add in weapons like C.D. Lamb and Grant Calcaterra hasn't even played the past few weeks, and we know how much of a great weapon he can be as well you have Trey Sermon in the backfield and a host of running backs that they have at Oklahoma as well but Clemson is the first team on the outside looking in their game against Carolina just really worried me and they did didn't really look that impressive against Texas A&M and even last week against Louisville it isn't a secret that Trevor Lawrence has regressed for the most part so in order for them to get in the co- or stay in the college football picture, I think Trevor Lawrence has to up his game a little bit more, and their defense has to take another step up, even though they, they have a lot of young pieces right now. So I have it, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma. I believe you had it. I believe you had it. LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma. So a bit of a different, a, a bit of a different sequence, and I can't wait to see how this college football playoff does turn out just because I think this is the first year in a while where we really haven't seen just a strictly dominant team like Alabama has shown and Clemson has shown in years past. I think it could be a toss up as far as some of those teams that do get in. Do you have any final comments on the top four? No, I, other than like that, I think you made a great case for Ohio State being the number one team. Um, I think with all this, just the NFL talent they have on that roster is Absolutely insane. I mean, you talk about Chase Young, talk about Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade, and you're done Fuller on the safety. I mean, this Ohio State team has just a lot of NFL players, and I think, you know, when you match talent for talent, these, these Alabama and LSU teams don't have the defense that they have in years past, and they're not playing like it. You know, you mentioned the Dylan Moses injury to Alabama. I think that's one of the biggest things for that team right now. Um, I think his loss is, being, is, is really being impactful for that team right now. But LSU, with the way Joe Burrow's playing, I think you can – yeah, I, I think they're the number one team right now, but I think your case for Ohio State and Justin Fields is a good one. I just need to see them tested first. That's really the only difference between LSU and Ohio State right now. 
LSU's played against two legit teams in Texas and Florida, or Ohio State. I, I, I want to see them go up against like a Wisconsin or something like that to get kind of, or even when they play Michigan, for example. Michigan still has a good defense. I want to see them go up against those guys. So LSU, Ohio State, definitely not top two, and I think it's a drop off to Alabama, Oklahoma. And I think you know, with I'm glad you picked Oklahoma over Clemson because I really do think they're the better team right now. And I know some Clemson fans, like I said earlier, are going to be a little upset when they hear this, but they just don't have that senior leadership they had in years past. And Trevor Lawrence is looking like a guy who's you know on that sophomore slump, and it's it's fine because I think you know everyone has such high expectations, like he was going to be the next Peyton Manning prospect, when that's just not the case. It's too high of expectations to put on someone like that, and I think he's starting to regress to the mean. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things where I think we got to calm down the Clemson hype and see and let them prove themselves first because against North Carolina, they, they should have lost that game. You know, yeah. you know the two-point two two conversion converts. We're not talking about Clemson at all in this right. playoff finish. So, so I, I really do believe Oklahoma's the better team right now, and I think Oklahoma, you know, while they've had you know, some ups and downs, They've st- the, the outcomes of those games, you know, still haven't been, you know, concerned like Clemson. But I just think Oklahoma's a better team right now. That could change in the coming weeks. But Oklahoma beating Texas like that, C.D. Lamb coming on as a Bletnikoff, you know, front runner. Uh, I just really believe this Oklahoma team is prime for a college football run, especially with the way, like you mentioned, Lincoln Riley and his development with Jalen Hurts, just simply phenomenal. So that's what the only thoughts I have is that, you know, we we have the same list. It's a different one and two, but I think you can make a conversation and an argument for both. Absolutely. And Ohio State, you talk about being tested. I think this is definitely their first test of the year coming up. This week, a big matchup against Wisconsin, the number three ranked team in the country, going against number 13, even though Wisconsin suffered an upset last week against Illinois. It took a little bit of, of the luster away from this game, but it still is very two evenly matched teams, I will say, because just because – not on paper, I wouldn't say they're evenly matched, but as far as their ranking, I think this could be two heavily, heavily, heavily even matched teams. So I'm I'm very interested in seeing this matchup, but I'm going to save the weekend previews for our next episode, and I want to thank each and every one of you guys for listening. Of course, we finally made an announcement on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on at LockedOnCFB. That is on Twitter at Locked on CFB. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, whichever podcast platform of your choosing, whichever one you're most comfortable with. We are on each and every platform that is known to man. But I am Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tolls. The streak is finally over and we could not be happier. But thank you guys once again for listening to the Locked (laughs) On College Football Podcast. We will be back on Friday morning and we cannot wait to bring you guys the next episode. Thank you once again.